Hey, welcome to the Church on Boulevard Sermons Podcast, an extension of the ministry of Church on Boulevard in Richmond, Virginia. We hope that you'll find your time meaningful and that you'll learn to live life to the fullest as we grow together. The scripture today comes from Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 21. It reads, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to him, to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. The word of the Lord. All right, so we're in a series this summer where we're looking at five major categories in our life. And we're taking, we started the first part of the summer taking kind of self-inventory on ourselves, how we're doing with our time, our treasure, our money and possessions, our talent, our gifts, um, our temple, our body, and what's that last T? Trust, relationships. Now, in this back half of the series, we're talking about what does it mean to have a gospel-shaped attitude towards each of those things. And what we're hoping we come out of this with is some, not smart goals, but what uh, the monastic tradition would call a rule of life, which is gospel-centered statements that will guide us into practically living with Jesus in our daily lives in each of these categories. So that's the hope. And uh, just a brief announcement, on the back of your scripture sheet is an example of where this is going to go. Ultimately, everybody would um, have a chart like this that they would fill out for themselves um, by the time we get to the end of the summer. So that's where we're headed. That's where we're at. Today, we're going to talk about treasure. <laughs> I should just let you stay up here, Derek, and keep preaching. Um, how our money and material possessions impact our spiritual life deeply. Jesus taught a lot about money and possessions. I don't know if you've like been around church for a little bit. Maybe you've heard people say, he taught more about like money than he did about sex. I don't know if that's true or not, but I know this. Um, he talks a lot about the material things that we have because he wants us to see, I think, that the stuff that we own and what we do with it, though we can't take that with us, when we die, no one would say you get to take your objects and your things with you when you die. But what we do with them does carry with us into eternity. What we do with the things that we possess in our life 
does get carried with us. If we're going to be a church that's got a gospel-shaped attitude towards our possessions, if we're going to be a church uh, that has an impact in Richmond that God's called us to have, then we're going to need to understand how Jesus enters into this area of our lives. So in order to understand this, let's start with uh, what Jesus identifies as the problem with our possessions and the power to dispossess our possessions. The problem with our possessions and the power to dispossess our possessions. What's the problem with our possessions? Jesus says it really clearly. Parables aren't, parables seem fun to teach on, but every time that I dig into a parable, um, I'm always so overwhelmed uh, by like all the contortions, all the things that could be going on within a story um, that it can be quite overwhelming. But Jesus makes this one a little bit more clear. He says right up front, watch out, be on your guard. Notice the double warning there. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. The term greed here is used for material wealth. It's also an, a hunger, an insatiable desire, and like, extenu- like just a huge desire for more. It could be fit, like material wealth. It could also be just status, well-being. Possessions put blinders on our heart. Jesus says, watch out. Literally, the word is look out. Why? Because possessions can put blinders on our heart. They can possess our heart without us realizing it. You think you own your stuff, and then your stuff owns you. You think you have your possessions, and then your possessions have you. So let's look at the context. Jesus is teaching his disciples and there's a crowd gathering around him. Everybody wants to see this teacher, preacher man who can heal people. And Jesus isn't talking to the crowd. Every now and then this will happen in the gospels where he's just talking to his disciples so that others can overhear. And as everybody's kind of crowding in around him, he's teaching his disciples about how God sees them as so valuable. It's the famous passage where he says, uh, what's a sparrow worth? Are you not more valuable than that to your God? And he's talking about himself being the son of man, the son of God. And either the guy wasn't listening or he was listening and didn't get it, but someone just interrupts Jesus in the middle of what he's teaching the disciples and says, teacher, tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me. He's concerned about getting what's his. In all likelihood, this is a younger brother scenario Luke uses a lot of younger and older brother stories. This is a younger brother scenario, most likely. And if this was a normal inheritance type situation, his parents have recently died, and the eldest in this culture would hold on to all of the wealth and then disseminate it amongst the siblings. And this younger brother hasn't gotten what's owed him. Now, it was common for rabbis to enter into some family financial disputes and help uh, arbitrate them. But notice that that this guy uses the language of that, but he's actually just using Jesus to get what he wants. He doesn't say, would you come help us figure this out? He says, just tell my brother to give give me what's mine. Give me what's owed me. Jesus turns down his request because he sees a problem with the man. His possessions possess his heart. 
And Jesus knows where that will lead him eventually. And he loves him too much to let him hang on to that. This man is using Jesus as a means to his inheritance, but Jesus says, I am your inheritance. And he's going to show him that through this parable. So Jesus tells this parable of a rich man who has an incredible harvest. And here's something to notice right away with the parable. Parables are always kind of surprising and subversive. The first thing we notice with the parable is, what's the situation of the man that Jesus is talking to? He's a loser in in his mind. He's lost out on his inheritance. But Jesus doesn't tell a parable about somebody who's lost money. He tells a parable of the opposite, a man who's won out, who's gotten a crazy windfall. He's got tons of crops growing up. He's got all this wealth. The man looks at the crops that have come up and the text says, the land produced a great yield. And he says, oh, what am I gonna do with all my stuff? What am I gonna do with my stuff? He's very self-focused. In about three verses, you probably noticed this when Derek was uh, reading the passage, he uses the personal pronoun for I, me, or he'll say you and your, but he's talking to himself over 10 times in just three verses. He is so about keeping what he has, protecting it, and his orientation is towards himself. He's very self-absorbed. He wants to protect his wealth so he can retire in comfort. Again, this doesn't seem to add up with the person that Jesus is talking to. The guy Jesus is talking to isn't about to retire. He's not, so like, what's going on? There's There's something going on between the story that Jesus is using to teach the man and the man's actual predicament. So the rich man in the parable, he decides he's going to build bigger barns and he embarks uh, to set out on his project, but he doesn't get far at all before God shows up and says, fool, this very, life, this very night your life will be demanded of you. In other words, your stuff is not your own. Even your life is not your own. It's on loan. Who do you think created you? Who made you? Who gave you the stuff? But possessions are sneaky like this you can start to think that you own them. Pastor Brian King describes the short parable this way. He says it unfolds in three movements. The man comes into great wealth. He makes plans to keep it and save it all to himself. And then God shows up and says, you're dead. (laughs) And it's it. What we see is that the rich man's life and his harvest is the logical end of what's going on in the heart of the younger brother who wants the inheritance. Does that make sense? Jesus paints a picture and says, hey, I'm not gonna tell you you're crazy for one your brother's inheritance, but I am gonna show you a picture of let's say you get it all. Let's say you get all the things that you want. Let's say you get the inheritance and some. You'll still be hungry for more. You'll still want more stuff. Jesus isn't pointing Uh, a finger and wagging it at the stuff or even the wealth. It's not so much about uh, that they have too much money, but that they've made too much of their money. But here's the problem. No one thinks their possessions possess them. (laughs) No one thinks, if I were to ask you guys, do you uh, have a problem with greed? And I was like, just by a show of hands, do you have a problem with greed? Are you a greedy person? Oh, Dwayne, you would raise your hand. Wow. You'd be a statistical anomaly. That's what I think Jesus is trying to get us to consider right now. Yes, thank you, Melanie. 
Yes. Come on, Mel. I love it. I think one of the reasons that uh, possessions can become a problem for us, one of the reasons this problem exists is because no one thinks they have enough. Part of that's because you can always point to somebody else. There's always a neighbor that has a nicer house or a nicer yard, kids that are more put together. Or in status, there's always somebody slightly more talented than you, better than you. And then notice, either you will react out of fear because you're like, well, I better hang on to my stuff to try to make it to be to the level that that person is. Or, or you're a manifestation of not having enough is, well, at least I'm not like those people. It's pride. At least I'm not like those greedy people. Greed is so sneaky because it's so easy to draw a line outside, out from yourself for greed. Everybody in the crowd would probably be nodding along with Jesus when he's like, yeah, greed, it's a big problem. Watch out for it. And they're all nodding their heads. You know, money doesn't buy you happiness, that type of thing. But he says, actually, what you need to consider is maybe the line doesn't go out from you. Maybe it turns back in towards your own heart. You might think you're doing something as simple as getting your own inheritance, and that's a perfectly fine thing, but your heart might be wrapped around it in the wrong way. Greed isn't just an upper-class problem. But I'm going to reference a quote from somebody in the upper-class. Maybe you've heard this quote before. Apparently, John D. Rockefeller was interviewed uh, during his lifespan, This man, on his own, owned 1% of the wealth in America at the time. On his own, just as one person, 1% of the wealth. That's a lot of wealth. It might just be a legend, but apparently he was asked in an interview by a reporter, how much wealth would finally be enough for you? You know what his response was? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. But it's not just Rockefeller that has this problem in uh, a book from the 90s, actually, so it's a bit dated. But I, had, I struggled to find even more uh, modern contemporary research on this exact issue. The Overspent America, American, written by Juliet Shore, notes that one-third of people at the time, this is like 98, with a six-figure income in the late 90s, said that they didn't have enough to afford everything they really needed. Sorry, I said that wrong, I said that backwards. One-third of six-figure income actually felt like they had enough for what they really needed. That means two-thirds didn't think they had enough. Greed isn't just a wealthy upper-class problem, it's an every-class problem. And Jesus is trying to show this guy that your inheritance isn't going to solve your issue. We got to deal with the heart problem, then your inheritance can be a means to an end. Andy Stanley, I think it is, says that, uh, how does he say it? If you find your meaning in your money, your life will diminish. But if you use your money as a means to God's glory, then you might experience your life increasing. In Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller writes, when anything in life is an absolute requirement for your happiness or self-worth, it's essentially what the Bible calls an idol, something you're actually worshiping. And I think many of us think that if we just had enough, we'd finally be happy. This is the money myth. That if you just, if your money could talk to you, it would just be like, if you just had enough of me, I could make you really happy. The rich man is pursuing happiness and comfort. Man, I could just, I could finally relax and be comfortable if I just had enough. 
the man in the crowd, the younger brother, he could get status. If his inheritance comes in, his whole life can change. He suddenly can be a landowner. He's suddenly at a different notch on the social totem pole. In other words, for him, it's glory. And God says, you only get that sense of comfort from me, and you're only going to get a sense of glory from me. Hardly any of us feels like we have enough, and that means we're susceptible to the problem of possessions. Roughly 48% of Americans feel they need to spend more to feel happier. And you might be saying, not me. (laughs) I don't need to spend more to be happier. That's what I thought when I first read that. And then I remembered that a month ago, I went to my storage closet to get my suitcase because we were going on vacation and a tower of jeans just smacked me right in the face as soon as I opened the storage closet door. And they fell at my feet and I looked at them and I was embarrassed because one, they were all my jeans and no man my age should have that many jeans. But here's the other thing. I was convicted because the day before, I was like, Paige, to my wife, Paige, I was like, hey, I really need a pair of jeans because <laughs> I don't have any in this color. In this style, this color, three such pairs were right at my feet that day. We don't see it happening. When money and possessions take hold, we can experience some adverse effects. Here's a couple. Maybe you can use this even as a diagnostic on yourself. If wealth has become an idol for you, meaning it's where you're deriving your happiness, here's some things that might be true of you. You overwork. Why? Because if you own your possessions, then it's up to you to take care of them, to replenish them. So you overwork. You find yourself thinking about your job all the time. You don't think your possessions are running the show. They are, they're just invisible. You'll overwork. Or you'll make a really bad business decision. You know why? Because you'll stay where you're at for the money. Or you'll choose the job change for the money. Not that that's bad, not that that's evil, but it can blind you to what might be your true calling, your true gifting, your true purpose, what God's calling you to. Here's one that really struck me. And don't think about the person that you know who's like this when I say this. Try to, try to apply this to yourself. You'll think you're an expert in everything. People who get a lot of wealth in one area think they know everything about everything. Not all the time. There are some really, really wonderful wealthy people. Um, this one I'm stealing from Tim Keller, so I just want to give credit for it. But, um, but this one really struck me because what, what's underneath all this is you overtrust your intuition. Again, you think you got it all, So then you're like, well, have you ever, maybe it's not wealth, but have you ever become really accomplished in one field and you find yourself the next time you're talking to your spouse or a friend, just talking down to them just a little bit, just being a little bit more teachy, using the word just a little bit more. Like if you just do this or just do that, and then you find yourself struggling with the same problem that they're having. I remember when Paige used to tell me like, hey, Drew, you're not my teacher. (laughs) You're my husband. Very lovingly. She said it very lovingly. Amen. There you go. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Unbelievable. Well, actually, you know what? Let's run with that real quick. 
because a lot of us can use our religion or the ladder that we're climbing. For the longest time, I was like, well, I can't make it in music in LA, but I could make it in a church. I could be real good at music in a church. That's, that is the same thing taking hold of our hearts that says, man, what, I'm, what you're really wrapped up in is your own self. But it can cause a lot of issues. Here's one other. It'll cause you to undertrust other people. If you overtrust yourself, you'll undertrust others. You won't look for help when you really need it. Because you got this far, you gotta get just a little bit farther. You see, if you own your stuff, which all of us think we own our stuff, your stuff can own you. So let me ask you, what are you storing up for yourself? You knew it was coming. What are you storing up for yourself? Does something drive you other than God's glory? And for all of us, the answer is yes. And we need to take a second to think about what that might be. Wherever you spend your money effortlessly, wherever you invest your resources with no problem. See, a lot of us, I think, are prone to say, wherever I'm anxious about my money, that's where I'm being greedy. But not necessarily. Sometimes it's the place where you have no problem doling out money. Yes. Why? Well, because those are the places, Scott Sauls says, where you're looking for comfort, value, safety, and status. It's where you're going to address your insatiable hunger for more. All right, so we've talked about the problem of possessions, the problem with possessions, that they can run our lives without us realizing it's happening. But Jesus wants to free us from this vicious cycle. So that's what we get to look at. We get to see the power that he gives us to dispossess our possessions. There's a problem with possessions, and then there's a supernatural power that Jesus gives us. We need to be aware of this because we need to have the power that Jesus gives us to no longer be greedy, but to be generous. So let's look at the passage again. Jesus says, watch out for abundance of possessions. Jesus shows him that a gospel-shaped attitude towards his possessions begins with recognizing who actually owns the stuff. So here's the first move that we need to make if we're gonna dispossess our possessions. The first gospel move that we need to make is we need to transfer ownership rights. And you can do this in your mind. You remind yourself that that thing that you think you own isn't yours. And you say, but I don't feel that. I don't believe that. Over time, your mind, with the power of God, can help transform your attitude towards it. But it starts by recognizing the truth. You have to start by being like, you know what? Everything I have is actually God's, including my life. None of this is mine. So it starts with realizing that God is responsible. But look at this. If God is responsible for our possessions, everything we own, then God is the one that's responsible for what we have, protecting it, replenishing it, the younger brother in the crowd thinks that he has to get what's his to protect what's his, but actually God has given it to him. The inheritance has come down through a family line that God has provided for. If God is the owner, then the rich man is the manager. So here's where the mental shift happens. You are a manager of God's wealth. All of us are managers of God's wealth. If you are an account manager for somebody, you get to invest their money. You get to see how it yields more growth. You get to celebrate it when it does. But if you ever get confused as to whose money that actually is, you'll either lose your job or be imprisoned for fraud. 
It's not your money. And that's what I think Jesus is trying to get us to see about how we handle our possessions. But it's so hard because I didn't go and like to the store and God made something apparate and I like saw it come right out of like out of thin air and God handed me my possessions. We feel so removed from it, but this is how possessions are sneaky. God provides for us in every category of our possessions. And once the possession problem is diagnosed, then we yield ownership to him. And that's confession. That's just saying, God, I've held onto this way too tightly and I need this idol taken down in my life. And he is faithful to respond to that. In order to be shaped by the gospel on a heart level, the rich man that's inside of us, the younger brother that's inside of us, needs to be replaced with something better. I used to think that I needed to go to God in confession and say, just take this thing from me. But the gospel is not that God takes the thing from us. It's that he fills us with himself and that's so much better than our things and our possessions. So then what happens is your stuff becomes stuff. Your job is just a job. It doesn't mean that stuff is bad or your job is bad. It means they get rightly prioritized because God is something greater. God made you to desire more than your possessions can give you, period. And in a sense, you have to realize that you're actually poor, that God owns everything, even that iPhone in your pocket. And when you realize that, then the switch will flip and you'll actually be wealthy because he wants to fill you with his riches. So this parable does something I think that's really, really compelling. A parable I've heard from, uh, from another pastor that it's not a delivery system for an idea, but it's a house. Think of it like a storehouse where the listener is invited to take up residence. Jesus didn't just tell his parables to get you to think differently or act differently. He tells his parables so that we step inside of them. And when we do, we'll see Jesus emerge, kind of like this illustration that looks like a bunch of lines, but in the negative space, it says Jesus. I know it's cheesy, Dwayne. You can smile at it. That's fine. Yeah, you see it? Jesus is the anti-rich man. He fills in the negative space where the rich man takes. The rich man says, I, me, my. Jesus says, you, yours. I give my body is broken for you as a forgiveness for your sins. In 2 Corinthians 8, which I used with the kids' object lesson, Paul writes, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. You know what Paul's showing us here? Paul is showing us the power of the gospel for our possessions. What is it? It's that salvation actually rushes into the categories of all of our things. Salvation actually extends into the category that is my iPhone, my clothing, my job, my status, Salvation of Jesus actually comes to those places as well. Not just the forgiveness of my sins, but all categories of life. The power for dispossessing your possessions is in Jesus. That's what the gospel gives us. You think about the costly grace of Jesus, that he gave himself on a cross for our sins, that he gave himself for you, that he poured himself out, not just to be a model of life for you, but to give you his very power, 
That's where real gospel life change happens in this area of your life. You got to seize that truth. Because here's the thing. If you left here today and just went to your closet and were like, I'm getting rid of all the stuff. <laughs> like We're giving it all away. You might need to do that. But that's a temporary fix. That is putting a Band-Aid on a hatchet wound. That's just getting rid of your stuff. <laughs> Whenever I do that, I'm like, well, now I need more stuff to put in the place where my closet has gotten kind of empty. But gospel change is because the gospel, you don't have to worry about money. Through Jesus' death, he comforts you. He comes to you. He proves that he cares so much that he will secure you, that you are his treasure and he won't let you go. Because the gospel, you don't have to be worried about what other people have and want it from them. You know that you have infinite worth in Christ. You start by looking at the things that you're holding on to too tightly and you say, I don't even own those and you give it to God and you remind yourself of that. And then instead of going home right away and clearing out your storage closet, you sit down with the cross. You sit down and you pause and you say, gosh, God, you've been so generous to me. And you let that work its way into every fiber, nerve ending in your body. And suddenly you'll be able to dispossess your possessions. Our hearts are like empty storehouses that God just pours his wealth into. Let's pray. Thanks for tuning in to the Church on Boulevard Sermons podcast. You can find out more about Church on Boulevard by going to www.churchonblvd.com.